It's really good to see everyone. We're going to go ahead and open up in prayer and prepare our hearts to worship God through a study of His Word. So if you will, let's take just a moment to, um, to thank Him for all He does for us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for this time together. What a wonderful crowd. And we thank you for the food that has been provided for us by those kind ladies. Thank you for the hands that prepared it. And we pray that you will bless this food to our bodies and give us the willingness and ability to go out and, and use the blessings that you have given us to share with others. Um, the time has now come for us to, to get the opportunity and privilege to be able to open up your word and study your truth. Your word is truth. And my prayer is that as we open these words today, that you will open our hearts and our minds and our lives. Help us to receive these truths and to believe these truths. And I pray that you will give us all in here the strength and the willingness to live and share these truths with others. I pray that you will help us to be a light and salt in this world that desperately needs you. So thank you again for all that you do for us, especially for sending your son Jesus to save broken people like us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So for those of y'all who have not been a part of our class, for about the last two years we have been going through. Hold on. Lori's got an announcement. I wanted to ask Barbara if you speak to the ladies that are doing the lunches and thank them profusely for the yeah. yeah. chapter. All right, so uh, for those of y'all who have not been a part of our class, or maybe you've been, you hadn't been here in a while, there's a few faces I hadn't seen in a while. Um, we've been studying the life of Christ, and what the way that we've been doing that is through a harmony of the Gospels, that's what we call it. And so remember the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course the first two chapters of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all of the books that give us the story of the life of Christ in his as he came and was born of a virgin and walked the earth for 33 and a half years and died on the cross was buried and rose again and now he's ascended up into heaven but when you read Matthew Mark Luke and John and the first two chapters of Acts you get the life ministry of Christ and what he did while he was here on, on the earth and I think it's very important for us to see that and so when we call it a harmony of the gospels what it means is all four of those gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell the same story they tell about Christ but they all have different perspectives and there's little nuances and little uh, thing, com- things that are communicated to us from different perspectives and different points of view all inspired by the Holy Spirit to, and harmonized together to give us a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior and so Last time we were together, um, it's been a couple weeks now, we talked about John the, uh, uh, John the uh, Baptist, uh, or John the Baptizer, as you uh, Presbyterian folks would like to call him. And uh, we, uh, we talked about how John lost his head for speaking the truth. John was willing to stand up to the political powers of his day and speak against a wrong that that, uh, a man was committing. And it it literally cost him his head. And we had been talking the theme for the last couple of weeks we were together. We were talking about how if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we are under his discipline. We are under his teaching and his learning. And it's never going to be easy. Jesus tells us that, that the world hated him. And that because they hated him, they're also going to hate his followers as well. And so always remember that, that um, so often we we want to think of the Christian life as just being the yellow brick road and us skipping arm in arm to heaven. And the reality is, is that it's not easy. 
And we need God in our lives. We need His Holy Spirit to empower us and to to uh, comfort us in our troubles and our struggles. Um, life here on earth is about dying. I don't know if y'all have ever realized that or not, but like um, we lose families and loved ones all the time, don't we? And 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 we we struggle with pandemics and we struggle with with uh, social uh, turmoil and 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 that's tough stuff. And Jesus says that we're going to go through those things. He didn't come and save us just so that we could just be happy. He came and saved us so that we could show the world what true peace and true love and true hope and true grace and true mercy really looks like. And so this world has an attitude of what life is about, and then the child of God has an attitude about what life is about. And as we walk in His Word and as we walk in His ways, this world is going to reject us because we confront them and we uh, reveal to them the flaws in their worldview and their their way of believing and their way of, of life. And so Jesus had been teaching His disciples that they hated me, they're going to hate you. And you remember that. What did they do to the body of Jesus Christ, his physical body as he walked here on the earth? They arrested him, they spit on him, they beat him, they nailed him to a cross. They abused him. They abused him. That's exactly right. And the Bible teaches us that now that his physical body is sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven, that his spiritual body, us, the believers, with him being the head, is still here on this earth being a representative for his truth. And so in the same way that they treated his physical body, the world is going to treat his spiritual body. And if if you are not aware of that, as you've been alive for a little while, you'll notice that this world is ramping up their attacks on the body of Christ. I just read today where another pastor in Canada just got arrested again and, and is going to jail for holding services during a during a pandemic. Right? He's holding services and and uh, they put him in jail and they brought him out and offered him bail. They said, "We'll let you out on bail if you promise not to hold any services." And he said, "I can't do that. I'm a shepherd and I have to shepherd my flock." And so they put him right back in jail. And so um, the times are coming when we're going to either stand or fall. And we need to remember this as well. The life and the opportunities that God has given you is really a test. Are you going to stand for what is true and walk in His truth and live for Him? Or are you going to yield to this world and to yourself and to your own desires? And the true children of God will be revealed through all of this persecution and through all of this turmoil and through all of our struggles, most of us in this room have struggled with, with addiction and uh, different things of that nature. And the reality is um, some of God's children do struggle with those things. The difference is, is that God rescues his children from those types of lives. And so we are a proof that he is at work in our lives. And now we need to continue to prove that to the world through our, our walk and our ways. And so uh, we had been talking for the last couple of weeks how what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And that it was not always going to be easy. And things are not always going to go well for you. And that's okay. We, and, and so what do we do? We take our eyes off of the mirror. Stop looking at yourself. We take our eyes off of our circumstances and we put our eyes on Christ, the author and finish of our faith, and we walk the walk that He has walked. And that's what He's called us to do. And that's what He had been teaching His disciples uh, for the last couple of weeks. So today, Jesus is going to address something. Um, I, I guess I would call the title of this lesson The Shallowness of External Religion. The Shallowness of External Religion. Remember, um, Jesus said, That which is flesh is flesh. 
And that which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again, right, in order to go to heaven. And so there's things in this world that are of our flesh, and there are things in this world that are, are of the spirit. And a lot of times, even we as children of God, even with the Holy Spirit within us, have a tendency to rely on temporary things, external things instead of relying on God. And so he's going to kind of expose that today. So if you'll turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. All right. And we'll read together. It says, Then some of the Pharisees, now remember we talked about the Pharisees before. They're Jesus, one of Jesus' enemies. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and he said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? All right. Um, so let's look at those first few verses there for a minute. The Pharisees, <clears throat> uh, all of the Pharisees are not bad. There were actually a few of the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? And there were some of them. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, there were some of the Pharisees, some of the uh, religious elders in that group that were actually starting to yield to the teaching and the truth of Jesus and starting to follow Him. But for the most part, when you read in the Gospels and you hear the scribes and the Pharisees or the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or especially in the Gospel of John, they will, he, John refers to them as the Jews. Now, we're not anti-Semites. Jewish people, our Savior is Jewish, okay? And the Jewish people are God's chosen earthly people. And they're uh, a beautiful people. And our whole Old Testament is Jewish. So there's nothing wrong with being Jewish. But in the book of John, every time that John says the Jews, he's referring to the enemies of Jesus. The ones who are contrary to the true teachings of God. Non-believers. Yeah. And there were Pharisees and Christ. And so, what was their main problem? Their main problem, one of their main problems, what, well, their main problem was they were not regenerate. Their, all of their religion was an external religion. It was all a show. And they were some of the most moral people that you would ever want to meet. They didn't drink, they didn't smoke, they didn't cheat on their wives, and they certainly didn't hang around with people that did. They got all the gold stars at Sunday school and memorized their Bible verses like they were supposed to. And when the offering plate came by, they put lots of money in it. And their names were on the pews uh, for donating money to the temple. And they were very moral people. But their problem was their morality was a self-righteous morality. It was about them and not God. They were being good because they wanted the people to see them instead of being good because they wanted the people to see God at work in them. And so their religion was an external religion. And of course, Jesus comes along and starts teaching truth. And this is going to directly conflict with them because Jesus is going to the heart of the matter. right? And what is the heart of the matter? A matter of the heart. It's the heart that's the problem. Okay. So our real problem is internal. And so what Jesus is going to do is He's going to start addressing this. And you'll notice what the Pharisees said to them. Jesus, why do your disciples not wash their hands? Now remember, we all wash our hands now and we all wear hand sanitizer and with all of this nonsense going on these days, everybody's afraid of the cooties. We're afraid to hug or shake hands or kiss or, or, or say hello to a neighbor or get within six feet, right? We're all about social distancing. 
But the reality is at this time when the Bible was written, nobody even knew about germs. They didn't know that by sneezing on your buddy you could give him a cold. They, that was not a part of their thought process. But the Pharisees had traditions about the way that they would wash their hands. And I'm not an expert on it, but there would be a ritual. There would be a certain That's exactly way. exactly what it was, was tradition. Okay, look. I just wanted to say my study Bible explains it right here. The law of Moses contained no commandment. That was extra-biblical law that existed only in oral form until the time of the Babylonian captivity, and then it went into writing. Okay. Very good. And so, so what something God made us do. Good. So Lori what Lori is saying is is that Moses gave us the law and then the Pharisees, well it wouldn't have been the Pharisees then, it would have been the priests and, and, and the temple people. They made up all these little extra rules to go along to help God's law out to make it make it better. And 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 so Jesus is they're going to attack Jesus by saying, You don't follow our tradition. And guys, we can get in a lot of trouble at our, even in our home churches when we don't follow traditions. Um, I, so I want to help you think about some traditions that we have in our modern churches that uh, maybe not be biblical. What if somebody said, what kind of Christian are you? You don't put up a Christmas tree. I was, that's exactly where I was going. So I actually got into a lot of trouble with the ladies at my church, and especially this one <laughs> lady in particular who is in charge of every year making sure that in... The church, uh, the church, uh, they have a nice, beautiful Christmas tree, and it is a very pretty Christmas tree. And they put it over in the corner. They don't put it up by the, by you know, they put it in the corner, and it's not. But you know, this is a Presbyterian church, and I can tell you, the old Scottish Presbyterians would have like run them out on a rail for that. Like we didn't do that. We didn't. You didn't have trees in the church, and and so um, maybe how about this? I'll pick on my Baptist family because I'm a Baptist. Most of the Baptist churches that you go to around the city of uh, Savannah or the state of Georgia or here in the deep Bible Belt, when you go in there, you'll find a flag on one side with the Bible on it, and you'll find the United States flag on the other side. Right. So we have Caesar and God up there on the altar. We can render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God. I guess that's what they're putting it up there for. But they're traditions. They're things, you know, most of the people in the deep south are, are truly patriotic people. Most of the people in the churches are veterans and they love the United States flag and there's nothing in the world wrong with the United States flag. But uh, to put it up, on the, up next to the Word of God to be revered is, is kind of dangerous in the same way with a Christmas tree. And so I don't put up Christmas trees at my house. And every year at December with my sisters and my mom, I'm like the scourge. They cannot believe that I would go never put up a Christmas tree. I have no use for it. I don't have any kids. I would, if I, even if I had kids, I wouldn't teach them about Santa Claus. That's all silly traditions. Aww. Uh, see? see? Right. Now, now, listen, listen, do, listen, listen. Do I condemn? Would I condemn you for? for having Santa Claus at your house and having Christmas? No, I wouldn't say anything about it. But to me, I see nothing in the Word of God where it enhances or helps me to worship Jesus. And in almost 99 out of 100 cases, it hinders my worship of Jesus. Right? Yeah, but you can still give gifts because the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, so you could do that. That's exactly why they established their tradition. They said, oh, the wise men brought gifts to Jesus. But it's not part of worship. But it's not part of worship. So so we, we have to be really careful because 
these traditions that we have are embedded in us. They're a part of our culture and who we are. And when you start standing against them, you start kicking the hornet's nest. You start stirring up the ant bed, you see? And so that's exactly what's going on here. These people for hundreds of years have had a certain way before they eat. They would wash their hands, you know, rub seven times this way, rub seven times this way. Shake to the left, shake to the right. I don't know what the tradition was, but they had a they had a ritual. They had a ritual hand washing that they went through, right? Right, and it was a way to purify their hands so that they could eat food, so that they could be holy. Now, one of the reasons why the the Jewish people would do that is because all day long they were out in the streets and they were bumping into goy, to dogs, to Gentiles, to people who were not like them. The priests were supposed to wash their hands. Right. And so they they were doing this as a way to purify themselves so that they could eat their food. And so it was a tradition. There was nothing in... It seems in, to me they came up with a lot of stuff so they could call people unclean and feel better about themselves for being no. clean than the ones that couldn't possibly keep their traditions. Well, thank you, Lori. Because you just finished the class for you. That's oh, exactly. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, you're you're dead on... No, no. I'm, I'm congratulating you. are dead on point. That's exactly right. Because what they were doing was they were taking these traditions and building themselves up so that they could look down on others. In other words, they were twisting and, and we're guilty of the same thing, sir. They were twisting the faith. They, they, they were twisting the faith. They were twisting... They were twisting the word. They, it wasn't really that they were twisting the Word of God. They were just adding to it. They were saying, this is the Word of God, but if we'll do this, it makes it even that much better. And that's very dangerous. The book of Revelation warns us about adding the... Adding to God's word, right? God meant to say this, but he forgot. Yeah, right. And this helps us a little more. So they said, uh, they said to him, why do your disciples break the tradition? So that's the question. And then Jesus asked him, look in verse 3, he said, why are you transgressors of the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? So what he's saying to them is, by you following these traditions that you have, you are stepping over the line and breaking God's law. Your traditions are actually breaking God's law. And then he's going to tell us how Lewis says. It says in verse 4, For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Alright? Now, where's he getting that from? His father. From the Bible. Exodus 20. Well, they didn't have Exodus 20 back then, but the book of Exodus, you see. He's quoting one of the Ten Commandments. And what do the commandments say? The Lord, uh, it says, honor your mother and your father so that your days will be long on the earth. Right? It was a promise to those that ought to honor your parents. Now remember, we talked about this several weeks ago. And we need to emphasize this really quickly. Remember, the Ten Commandments are God's definition of what it looks, to, looks like to love God and to love your neighbors. It's God's standard. It says, if you really love God, then don't have any gods before Him. Don't bow down to any statues in Him. Don't take His name in vain and remember His Sabbath day and keep it holy. So if you really love God, what will you do? You'll honor those commandments. Jesus said, if you love Me, obey Me. So what does true love look like? Obedience. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't like that, guys. We don't like to be obedient to anybody, even to God. Yes, sir. Can I ask you a question that we're all done? Yes. Personal? Yes, yes. Right. So, the first four commandments say this is what it looks like to love God. And then the last six commandments say this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. Honor your parents. 
Do not steal. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not covet. Right? And honor your parents. So it, it, it says, this is what it looks like to love. And so by these people using their traditions to break the commandment of God, what are they actually expressing? Hatred of God. And so they're taking and adding on to God's Word to not to twist it, but to enhance it. And what they're actually doing is they're degrading it. Is what? Degrading it. They're they're bringing it down. They're trying to drag it down into into to to their level. It's, it's like you're fixing a stew or something like that. You say, well, I think it says call for salt. I'll put the whole barrel of salt in it, and then yep. you ruin it. Yep. Right? You put more of what. And need. and think about this. Why do we do this? What is so big about tradition? And I I honestly think this is what it is. I think it's about control. I am a very, very, very routine person, and it, it's a it's a survival mechanism for me. When I was living the wrong way, I had no order, no yeah. no schedule, no nothing in my life. But now tonight, on Tuesday night, I'm going to the Kai restaurant and I'm having shrimp and fried rice. That's what I do every Friday, and then on on Tuesday and on Saturday, I go back to that same restaurant and have salmon and rice. And on Wednesday night, I I go to the church and I eat at the church. And every day I have. I, and on my, my schedule for work, if I have to be at work at 5.30, I set my alarm for 3.45. I have routines, and, and they give me comfort and peace. Why? Because I'm in control. And if I leave my house, I allow myself about three extra minutes to get to work. And if I get stopped by an extra train or an extra red light on the way to work, what happens? I get tense. Why? Because I'm starting to lose control. Right. And so I think a lot of these traditions are about control. You see? And what happens is we become servants or slaves to our traditions and to to being in control. And what happens when we get out of control? We panic. We freak out. Look at the world around us. Y'all remember when the uh, COVID first hit and all the food was starting to get scarce and the and toilet paper. Toilet paper. Toilet paper. And you listen. I work. I work in a grocery store, and you would not believe how humanity acts when they start getting out of control. When they start losing control. When their routines start getting knocked out of line, we go bananas. And so what these men were doing were they were taking God's word, which is God's laws are not. We see them as control, but they're actually freedom. God says, this is what it looks like to live freely. To love me and to love your neighbors. The traditions on top of them were a way to yoke people into a bondage or or a self-serving slavery that was actually not setting them free. It was actually controlling them. And so here comes Jesus coming along, and he starts calling these people out. Because look what he says in verse 5. You say, whoever says his father, mother, whatever I have that I would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your traditions. All right. So what would happen was these people would have some life savings saved up and your parents would get older and they would need help. You know, they, they need you to come to the house and give them a meal every couple of days or come cut the grass for them or do things for them in their yards and, and help them out in life. And what, and what these guys would do, their parents would be financially strapped and they would have the money to be able to help their parents out. But they would say, oh, mom, dad, I can't give that money to you because I've dedicated that money to God. 
okay? Nice. And while as soon as their parents died, what would happen to that money that was dedicated to God? It would all of a sudden not be dedicated anymore. Back in their pocket. You see? So what they were doing, they were using God as an excuse not to take care of their parents. Now, before we start looking down our nose on folks, we need to remember that we're very guilty of how many times in our days does our schedule conflict with us going and taking care of the people we love and the people we care about. I got things I need to do today, Mom. I love you, but, you know. Every day. Right. And so it's very easy to get into this. But what? notice what Jesus is saying. You have made a new rule called the Corban Law that says you can dedicate your money to God. And God commanded you to take care of your parents, and yet you say you're honoring God by keeping that money for Him. God doesn't need your money. God wants your, He doesn't even need you. He doesn't need you or anything about you. What He wants is your heart. And if He has your heart, what's it going to do? It's going to play out in your obedience to Him, and your obedience to Him will be to take care of your parents. So you see what Jesus is saying to these people? You've made this tradition up. You tell people you're honoring God, but in reality, you're taking care of yourself and you're literally rejecting the very laws of God through your tradition. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, so they just from scratch. Yeah, just sure invented the traditions okay. that, from not, not from God's word whatsoever. Exactly. They, they developed the tradition and then exactly. God's name as like a... Exactly. Okay. All right, now, we can get into the same thing. Um, so I, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to try to tie all of these things in together in a life example. So Sunday afternoon, um, Saturday was my mom's birthday. And so Sunday afternoon, um, we had uh, went down to the Crab Shack down on Tybee and had supper. And it was my mom and my sisters and my aunt and several people. We had a big family gather. Well, they decided to meet at 4 o'clock. Well, I have church at 5 on Sunday evenings. Okay? So what I did is I went down there and I... Um, uh, got something to drink. I sat around and hung out with all of my family from 4 until about 4.45. And my church is about 45, uh, 15 minutes from Tybee. I gave my mom a big hug, kissed her, and said, I'm going to church. Now, I could have stayed there and not gone to church, and it would have actually been okay because there's nothing in the law of God that says that you have to go to Sunday evening service. Matter of fact, you could actually say that Wednesday night services and Sunday evening services... Are, are a tradition of the church. Yep. So it, you could actually say that Sunday evening services are a tradition. But I struggled internally with that because I love going to church. I love that uh, routine in my life. And I love going and being with my eternal family as much as I enjoy being with my earthly family. I enjoy we we do um, communion every Sunday night at my at uh, the church and I, I love being there. So I tried to split myself. I went and I honored my mom, gave her a big hug. I'd already sent her a birthday present the day before. She already had it. and see my family and love them and then leave there and go. Now the reason I'm sharing this is because I'm going to just being honest with you. On the way to my church, you know what I was thinking? I can't believe they'd stay there in a restaurant and eat and I go to church tonight. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? Yeah. Like that was me looking thinking down. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say that one more time. Looking down on. I'm thinking in my head, how could they just stay there and eat at a restaurant? It's Sunday night. They should go to their church. Yeah, look at me. I'm going to church. Look at me. I'm going not... to church. Also, you old. I'm just being honest yeah, with you. I'm being honest with you with the thought process that went through my mind. They used to have something um, like back where you'd have to pay to like get your sins like cleansed or whatever. That's yeah, they exactly. still do that today in a lot of places. Yeah, but 
But but so you understand what I'm saying. It's very easy for us to get up and get caught in these traditions and these these uh, external things. And why am I focused on this? Well, let's look now what he says next. Look at what Jesus says in verse seven. You hypocrites. All right. Now remember, we've talked about hypocrites in the past. A hypocrite is a mask wearer. A hypocrite was in in the old Greek plays was an actor. Uh, they didn't have any women in the Greek plays, and so what they would do is, if they needed Little Red Riding Hood for the story of Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf, they'd get some little boy, and they would put a mask on him, and he had, would have some little ponytails on it to let you know that it was a girl, you see? And a mask wearer was known as a hypocrite, an actor. So what is Jesus saying when he calls them hypocrites? He's calling them mask wearers. You put on a mask and look at everybody and act all religious... Yet, when you take the mask off, the real scary person is exposed. You see how that works? So when he calls people hypocrites, he's calling them people who put on an outward facade and pretend to be something that they're not. In other words, and it's like calling them liars. They are liars. The Bible says that all men are liars. And that's including me. I have to raise my hand. So every time he calls somebody a hypocrite in here, it's very easy for me to start looking and saying, yep, they sure are. But remember, when you point at one person, well, you got three fingers pointing back at you. We need to remember that, God. We're just as guilty as everyone else. And so, look what he says. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. All right, so who is Isaiah? He's an Old Testament prophet. Seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was ever born, this man came along and made some prophecies for God. And in the prophecy, he said this. This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They're teaching for the teachings of God their own precepts, their own ideas, their own traditions. All right, so what I want to do really quickly, while we've got a few minutes, I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah, and I want you to look at the context of what's going on there. So turn with me to Isaiah 29. It's to your left, and probably two-thirds of the way back towards the beginning. Or uh, It's Isaiah chapter 29 it's right after the psalms proverbs isaiah 29 yeah and isaiah 29 verse 13 is where we're going to start now just a little bit of quick background about this 29 yes isaiah 29 and we're going to look at verses 13 now just some background to this the the nation of israel the nation of Israel had been living in idolatry. They are God's chosen people, His special people, and they had been living. What had happened was they went in and they took over the promised land. And when they went in and took over the promised land, instead of being a special people peculiar to God and living for Him, they started incorporating all of the false gods and the false worship systems of the people around them. So they were literally drowning in idolatry. And Isaiah was sent to them. The first half of the book of Isaiah is Isaiah going to them with a message from God saying God is fixing to destroy you. He is going to send in enemies to capture you and drag you off into slavery. You've rebelled against me. You're idolatrous and I am not happy about it. And so Isaiah has come to give this prophecy to the people of God. All right. So if our pastors in our pulpits now today are being faithful to the message 
and they're standing in their pulpits today, their message today could be the same today for us in the congregation of God as it was for Isaiah to the children of Israel then. Because we have been drowned in idolatry. We worship the things of the creation instead of the creator. And remember, guys, any of you in here who has struggled with addiction, chemical dependence or addiction, that is the, one of the greatest forms of idolatry that there is. You have turned to something in the creation and are looking for it to give you what only God can. All right? So the whole world around you and the folks you're looking at, that good-looking guy or lady you're looking at brushing your teeth in the morning, we are all, John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. We will find something to worship other than God. It's just a part of our fallen nature. And so look what Isaiah says in verse 13. So he's given this message to the people, and he says this. He says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their words, and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists in traditions learned by rote. Right? What does it mean to say there? It's learned by rote. You just you just learn it from memory. It's memory. Yeah. You just spit it out yeah. without understanding. Yeah. So so an example of that. It is very easy for me to stand in church on a Sunday and say this: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, deliver us from evil, without us kingdom, power, glory, forever, ever. Amen. Very easy for me to say, and that is the word of God, and it, it is his promise, and it is a prayer that we can pray all the time. But how often does it become rote? How often do I stand in my church congregation and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, Received the Virgin Mary, born of, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, received the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day, he rose from the dead, he sent it. And the whole time I'm saying that, I'm thinking about if there's going to be any fried chicken left at Publix when I get out of the service. Well, no, isn't that? That's you. That's not what the thing is set up for. That's exactly right. right. No, that's the point I'm trying to make. No. And so what happens is our our religion our religion be, can become rote in our lives. It can become where it's not from the heart, it's from the head. Now we, you need your head to worship, guys. You, it, God is gives us wisdom, but the point being is, what is he saying? He says, "You honor me with your lips. Your heart is far from me." Your reverence for me consists in traditions learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. I feel like it's so very necessary to attend church services because God's Word gives me the opportunity to search my heart. And I don't like what I find there a lot. And there's no doubt that attending church is a means of grace. Like It is one of the things that God has given us to worship Him and to grow in Him. It's one of the means He uses to sanctify us and conform us to the image of Christ. No doubt. The point that Jesus is making here is the Israelite people, these folks here in Isaiah, when Isaiah was preaching to them, are the most religious people on the face of the earth. They were literally the only people that true knew the true God. 
And yet, even then, even in that special, peculiar relationship as his chosen people, they had fallen into idolatry. Their heart still wasn't right. That's exactly right. And so, think about what Jesus is doing. Jesus was warning that his children were going to um, be carried into captivity and suffer uh, terribly because of their rebellious hearts. Now, 800 years later, their great-great-grandkids are doing the very same thing that their grandparents were doing, and now Jesus, in the same mold as Isaiah, as the prophet of God, is now calling them out, and what is their attitude towards him? Killing. Crucify him. Why? Because he's in their business. He's in their traditions. He's calling them out on their external religion. Yeah, he's making them think about what he's right. saying. I'm sure some of them now, thought about what he was saying and said, oh my goodness, he's, he's right. And, and they don't want to hear that. Yep, that's right. And look what he says. He says, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This that, is what the Matthew, files are. Right? Yeah, this is back in Matthew. That's very important. I have that one underlined. <clears throat> <Whoa>. I know. <laughs> right? Very important. Which verse was that? Uh, verse, Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles you, the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. Then his disciples came to him and they said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the statement? Because weren't they trying to do like the unclean food and all this other kind of stuff? Yes, because that's exactly right. So why are they offended? Because Jesus says sitting there and washing your hands is not clean in your heart. He got called out. They got called out. There you go. Right? So... I want to bring this down to the street level of what we struggle with. And this is one of the things I counsel with people. I've had the privilege of counseling people for the last seven years at Coastal Harbor. And I hear people all the time saying that they want to be sober. They don't want to drink anymore. They don't want to drug anymore. <clears throat> and they'll pray to God and ask Him to take their addiction away. All right? Is that a legitimate prayer? That way. Right? Is that a legitimate prayer to pray? Oh, God, please take this addiction away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly yeah. is. Certainly is. Very true. But, but if you're going to keep doing it, then what's the word? All right, but watch. Thank you for springing that up because watch. What I will encourage him to do is pray this. Oh, God, change my heart so that I don't want to do it anymore. That's right. You see, because the addiction is the external expression of an idolatrous heart. A heart that is looking for something other than God to give them their purpose and meaning in life. And so if I pray and ask God to take the addiction away, if He takes one addiction away, what might happen? Seven worse ones might come jumping in, you see? Yes. So what should I pray? God, my heart is idolatrous. And I am looking for things in this world to give me what only You can. So will You change my heart? Will You give me the desire to love You more than anything else? You see how that prayer would go? And it's, and it's not that God won't honor a prayer of you praying, oh God, uh, uh, you know, take this addiction away from me. Because remember, God's hearing the groans that we can't even speak with our mouths. Like He knows if we're really broken. But most of the time, when I counsel with addicts and, and alcoholics, they're not sad because they're high. They're sad because they got caught or they're sad because their bodies are breaking down on them from the lifestyle they're living. They're not sad because of what they're doing. 
They're sad that it's costing them. And so the reality is, it's the want to that needs to be changed. It's not the it's not the external; it's the internal. So, what does God do when God regenerates a person? When God gives a person a new heart, then what happens to the external? It, it becomes new. Behold, all is past, the old has passed away, and now the the new has come. And so, <clears throat> Jesus, the disciples came and said, "Do you know they were offended? So why are they offended?" Because he's calling them out. Look what he says next in verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if the blind man guides a blind man, both of them will fall into a ditch. Now, what does he mean when he says every plant that his heavenly Father did not plant will be rooted up? There's a couple things that come to mind for me when I hear that. Number one, Psalms 1 immediately comes to mind. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sin, or sit in the seat of corner. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the stream, and all that he does will prosper. His life will be fruitful, right? Yes. Alright, so what does that mean? If God is the one that has done work in your life, if he's the one that's changed your heart, if your heart is, belongs to God, then your life is going to become fruitful. And there's going to be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Those things are coming out in your life. Another thing that it automatically reminds me of is in the book of Hebrews, we are told that the grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Mm-hmm. So God's truth is going to stand long after our traditions have passed away. You see? So what should we be rooted in? We should be rooted in God's truth and not focusing on the traditions. Or, especially what He's calling them out on and what is replacing God's Word with traditions. So Peter said to him, this is verse 15, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking understanding also? And the answer is, yes. All right? Peter and the disciple, Jesus, as you read it now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And you can read Jesus. Jesus will say something like this. I'm fixing to go into Galilee and die. Like, I'm fixing to go into Jerusalem and be killed. And his disciples say, well, we're going with you. you know? And they don't. They have no clue to what he's talking about. Even after he died on the cross, they were, how did this happen? He was supposed to be the king. How did he die on the cross? And he had been telling them for three years that he had come to die. Right? So... He says, are you also still lacking understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things come out of the mouth from proceed from the heart, and that is what defiles a man. Right, so watch what he's saying. It's not the things you're eating, and it's not the things you're watching on the television, and it's not the things you're listening to in your earbuds. And it's not the billboards that you pass by on the streets. And it's not the peer pressure from your friends that is causing you to be who you are. It's you. That's what he's saying. Right? I, I, work, I have 120 teenagers. And the whole world says that it's the video games that they're playing and that it's the lifestyle that they live. And, and definitely, I, your life, like your parents have an influence on how you grow up and how you act and things. But the reality is, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The human heart is in rebellion to God. And so, 
All of these external things may influence you, but they don't make you who you are. Who you are is who you are on the inside. And who you are on the inside is going to come out in who you are on the outside. Every one of us in this room have learned how to put on a mask and try to cover up who we really are on the inside. Right? Not, not only that, but even as Christians with Christ in our heart, we get around some crowds and we put on a mask and try to fit in with the world, don't we? Right? It is so much easier for me at work to hang out with my buddies and talk about the Hawks Phillies game. Or the Lakers and LeBron and them falling off, you know? Or how the Falcons are going to play this year. Like, I mean, I can buddy around with my buddies in the back room at work all the time with that kind of stuff. But boy, you let me tell one of them to watch his mouth. Drop an F-mom in the back room. And then I get on his nerves, see? Who are you to judge me? You, you see the difference? It's way easy for me to put on a mask and fit in with my coworkers than it is to sometimes take the mask off and, and let them see who I really am. And who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a born-again, blood-bought child of God. But it is so easy for me, even as a Christian, to put on a mask and fit in. And that's what he's warning about. He says, it is, not, it is not the things that you are putting into you that's causing you to be who you are. It's who you are on the inside that's causing those things to come out of you. So I use this example with my uh, youth, my teenage kids that I work with, and I use it with adults. Because and others see the things yep. coming out. Yep. And, and, and they're wondering, you know, you're a Christian. That, why is that coming out yep. of you? And so I want to share this with you to help you think about your life and your walk. The things that you think about are the things that you talk about. And the things that you talk about are the things that you do. And the things that you do is who you are. All right, let me say that one more time. The things you think about are the things you talk about. And the things you talk about are the things you do. And the things you do is who you are. So if you want to change who you are, you got to reverse that and go all the way back. It's not what you talk about. It's not what you do. It's not what you say. It's who you are in your heart. And who you really are in your heart is going to come out. And it don't matter what kind of mask you put on or what kind of pills you take or what kind of clothes you wear or what kind of culture you surround yourself in. The real you is there. And it will come out. And that is why Jesus said that you must be born again. Yeah, you you have to become a new person. You can't hide from yourself. That's exactly right. And you can't hide from God either. That's right. And he's the one that we will all answer to. So um, we'll finish up the lesson now. We've got about three minutes left. Look at verse 19. And this is pretty powerful. For out of our hearts, for out of the heart, comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts, false witnesses, slanders, these are the things that defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. All right? We just had a shooting over here in, uh, where was it? Was it in Hitchville? Was, was it in here? Hitch? Yeah. 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 Nine people shot. Yeah. yeah. A seven and a, a, seven and a two year old kid. And think about that. Think about the type of heart that can hold a gun out of a car door and shoot into someone's home not knowing who's in there. Yeah. And kill a baby. Over drugs. Right? 
over anything. It could be over a woman or money or, or maybe you just slighted them at the club. Said something about wrong about them. But look what he says. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and theft and false witness and slanders. These are the things in which you defile a person. And it is so easy for us to point our finger at those people that are doing those shooting and say, well, it's the culture they live in. It's the music they're listening to. It's the lifestyle they live. No, it's them. They have a wicked heart that is willing to open up fire on a home. And the truth of the matter is, but listen, and this is so important. We'll close with this. Remember what Paul said. But for the grace of God, there goes I. A lot of us were in that cycle. You better believe it. took us out and put us where we needed to be. That's exactly right. And it's on a dangerous road. And so when he changes your heart, there's going to be changes in your thoughts and your words and your actions. And there's going to be changes in who you are. And if you're in this room today and you can look in the mirror and see those changes in your life, thank him for the grace that he has shed upon you. And if you look in the mirror today and you can't see those changes, repent. Turn away from the wicked things you're doing and find His forgiveness and His salvation in your life. So, um, this is a tough lesson because it, it gets to me. And I tried to be honest with you guys to kind of show you in ways in my life where it still affects me every day. It does. And, and, and it should. That's what His Word is supposed to do. And I got news for you. The more you walk with Him, the more you're going to recognize you don't walk with Him. The closer you get to him, the more he's going to show you the, the things that you see. Needs, yep. needs That's to exactly change. Right. And why? Every morning, help why? me glorify your name. Help me be honest. Help me do right. Help Amen. me do what's good and right in your eyes. Every day. And you know why, Lori? Because he wants us to stop depending on us and depending when on I him. When I depend, like yesterday morning, I had a whole bunch on my shoulders and I was stressed to the max. But, you know, God, I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have been. That was sinful for me. I was stressed to the max. Nothing was working out the way it was. I had time periods where I had to be certain places. If God wanted me to go certain places and not be late, then he's going to get me there. But yesterday was, was a hard morning for me. Real hard. Well, well this morning, I woke up and uh, I, 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 I thought I, I wouldn't give up on life. But I kept talking to uh, to Cece, and, and Cece told me, he said, God, we want you to do that job. Mm-hmm. So I sat down, by, uh, I sat down back on my bed, and I started thinking about it. So something told me to kneel down and pray, so I prayed before I left. Then just when everything got better. Amen. Because you're Amen. precious Sorry, in his sight. Better. You're precious in God's sight. Amen. Amen. He loves you. And so we are going to struggle in this world. And as his disciples, as believers, we're not going to walk perfect lives. But it's not our perfection that's getting us to heaven. It's his. And so if you truly are his child, Believe. trust him and walk with him, and he'll give you the strength to do what you're supposed to do. And what will happen is your life, you'll turn around at the end of your life and turn around and look. And it'll be proof that he's been with you all along. It'll be proof that you really were his and that he really has been fixing you, that he's been helping you, and it hadn't been pretty. And a lot of times he had to grab you by your hair and drag you along. 
but he loves you and he, and he that began a good work in you is faithful to complete it unto the end. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this lesson. I pray that you will help us to all apply it to our hearts to recognize that none of us are perfect, but you are. And that by trusting in you and by turning to you and by what your son Jesus did on the cross, not only have we been forgiven and cleansed, but we have been given your life. And I pray that your grace will work mightily in our lives and allow the world to see us as your children and allow us to be conformed to your image and allow us to know your peace and your love and your joy, to walk in your strength and not in our brokenness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.